Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. This is Jacob Potty here with the Muni Story Oral History Project, and I have Gary Sorensen here with me today. How are you doing, Gary? I'm just doing great. Thank you. Well, thank you for um, spending a little bit of time talking with me about your Muni story. Gary was involved with the Muni throughout the late 70s and through the 80s. So let's just get down to it. What um, what was your first Muni experience, Gary, either on stage or as an audience member? Or as yeah, audience? well, okay. I was, um, in 1973, I was hired as the vocal music director at Rochester High School. And I went to see my first Muni uh, show, in the summer of 1973, which was Once Upon a Mattress, starring uh, Georgia Dirksen. And I really enjoyed myself. And then in 1976, I had a call from Gene Rubley if I would be interested in being the vocal director for Bye Bye Birdie. And that's how I got started. Okay. So um, then were you ever on stage at Muni or were you just um, on the staff side of things? Mostly on the staff side. I, um, in 1977, uh, Don Bailey asked me to uh, do the uh, music for uh, the Desert Song. And then in 1978, Grace, uh, boy, I gotta, I can't pronounce her last name. That, uh, um, Navadi. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> she asked. She was directing Sweet Charity, and then she asked me if I would do the vocal music and the orchestra for Sweet Charity, which I did. And then the very next summer, in 1979, I directed my first Muni production, which was Carousel, and that just started the whole ball, uh, ball rolling. Uh, in 1980, I directed um, Showboat. And in 1980, yeah, right, in 1981, I directed uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat, and that was right off of Broadway. We were like the first ones to get the right uh, as a uh, community theater to do the show. 
And then in 85, I did uh, Evita, and that was a really big production. That, again, was right off of Broadway. We were the first community theater to do it in the United States. And that was a, a just a glorious experience. In 87, I directed uh, The Wiz. And then again in, in 89, I did the second production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And for all those productions, I did my own uh, orchestral music. Uh, I liked doing my own orchestra since I was a music teacher. I was capable of capable of doing that, and uh, I felt like more in control of Jacob for doing that. I really felt, you know, I could keep the pace of the show, and uh, I really felt as the director. And the musical director, I really had control over the show. So that was a big thing. In all that time from 60, from 86 to 88, I was president of the board of managers. Uh, I was on the board a long time. I got elected to the board in 1976 from the production of Bye Bye Birdie because uh, every show would elect someone to go to the board. And that's how I started being on the board and getting involved. And I really enjoyed that, being on the administration side of the Muni Opera. So I have, from... I just had a glorious experience. And then in 1990, I left uh, Springfield and went to California and was musical theater chair of the um, musical theater department at the high school for the arts in on the campus of Cal State LA. Uh, for 25 years. Yeah, and since they talked about that, you can mention who your um, star pupil was. Oh, yes. I, I've, I had many, many yeah. students that went to Broadway or they were on national touring companies. But my star pupil was the amazing Josh Groban. And uh, that was ex some experience. He came to Loxa as a junior. I cast him in his first show at Loxa, which was Fame, the musical. He played the drama teacher. And then the next year, his senior year, I cast him as Tevya, in the music band and that was such an experience even uh when he was uh, did the emmy and everything they showed a clip from my production on the emmy awards on television 
and uh, it was just spectacular. And uh, I will, he is the nicest man. I get tickets to all of his uh, performances. I've seen him uh, many, many, many times. And he is what he seems to be. Uh, not conceited, not big-headed. He is just the nicest man. And I am so proud to have been his teacher in high school. Yeah, so that that's a pretty amazing story that you had such an impact on one of the biggest performing artists right now. Yeah, and Jake, Jacob, he always... You know, credits me for being uh, giving him a uh, start in Broadway and musical theater. He credits me for that, uh, and uh, in interviews all the time. And uh, he is like he never forgets me. And to be someone that had an impact on a student as a teacher is more than I can ever, ever uh, more imagine because when you decide to be a teacher, you want to impact students and then to be recognized for it really, really makes you feel that you did the right thing in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Great. So anyway, with Muni, um, what are some of your favorite memories that you have from any of the shows that you um, did? I know you mentioned a lot of great shows that probably had lots of great memories. I do have lots of great memories. I think um, my biggest was a Vita in 1985. It was the first production ever done at the Muni. It just had been released to community theater. We were the first community theater to do a Vita. I really went all out. I uh, got my torches for a new Argentina from um, Hawaii. I had to have the casket made because, you know, it was a di different kind of casket. And I wanted to replicate as best as I could the Broadway production. I saw the Broadway production 11 times with, um, with uh, Patty Lapone yeah. and... Uh, and who was the guy that played uh, Che? That would have um, been Mandy Patinkin. May, yes, that's who I saw. And I tried to make it as close as I could to the Broadway production. We had to special order all of the Army uh, uniforms because they had to be the uniforms that they used at that time. Um, it was a, such a big, big effort. It involved so many people. And uh, the cast was top-notch. 
uh, the staff was top notch. And I just will always remember that time Jacob through there. I, I kind of always, I see it now today in 2021 that I was part of what I would call was the original or old Muni. The new Muni, which is today, I just, I know some of the people on the board of trustees because they were around and starting when I was involved. But as far as performances go and uh, the people today that are doing the show, I just don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's all changed so much. And, and it's still the great organization that it was when it started. But it's just a new crop of people. Yeah. Um, and of course, we just did Avita for the second time. Seems like forever ago, but it was only 2019, the last time we had a season. So, and of course, your production was mentioned a lot um, when we did it this time around. Yeah, I did it in '85. Yeah. Um, do you have any other special memories from any shows? Uh well, there was just a lot of firsts, like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was first. The Wiz was the first. Yeah. And that was, I really enjoyed doing that show. I had a girl uh, that came from Chicago that was Dorothy, and she was outstanding. I did very little performing myself on stage. The only show I, I did the um, opening number of Follies, Beautiful Girls. I did that number, and I was Thurio in Two Gentlemen of Verona in 19, uh, I think that was in 84. Yeah. And. Um, I just, uh, that's all the performance I did. It was mostly directing and being uh, on the administrative side of the Muni Opera, and I don't regret a minute of it. Yeah. So what was being in Follies like? Because, I mean, we that's obviously a show, and I'm assuming then, too, isn't done very often because it's an extremely difficult show. What was that experience like? Uh, it, was, it was a well-done production, okay? And you are absolutely right. It's a difficult show to do, you know, with the young Sally, the old Sally, you know, all the different uh, characters that you need for that show. And we were lucky enough to have the right people at the right time. And uh, it was stunning. I was uh, very, very, very happy to have done the opening uh, scene in Follies. But that's basically all that I did. Oh, okay. 
So one of the phrases that we use a lot in the theater world is the show must go on. And for this um, podcast series, I'm framing it as things that go wrong, such as flubbed lines, choreography mishaps, screwed up entrances, forgotten verses, um, set falls down, anything like that. I know you have, weren't a performer very often, but with directing is there anything that comes to mind that happened that oh yeah always. oh yes jacob there was one time i was doing a visa and i was directing my own orchestra and you know in the visa there's a song and the money kept rolling in and it's a very difficult it's in seven eight very difficult song very difficult musically, and a very big number, both dance-wise, singing-wise, all, you know, con uh, staging, the whole bit. Well, one night, um, Che, uh, on one of his entrances, came in early. And I, I sensed it right away in the pit. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I didn't want to stop the orchestra and stop the production and start over. So luckily, I whispered to the orchestra, I said, I want all of you except the drums to stop playing. And when I tell you to come, uh, to all come in again, come in at this bar. There was a letter. I forgot the letter. So I kept the rhythm going because it's a very rhythmic song. I kept the rhythm going with the drums and all the percussion Everybody else dropped out. And when it just got right, everything seemed to go right, I said, bar so-so. And everybody came in, and it was a dance section of the show. And the dancers, they knew it. It was like I had told them. And they all just jumped on it. And the when the number went on like nothing happened. Nobody knew the difference except the cast, the orchestra, and myself. But I was sweating. And that I will never, never forget. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Uh no, I guess I should say I've been lucky with things like that. I know that a lot of times an actor might forget lines or, you know, the, something happens with the lighting or with the sound or with the set or something. But I've been pretty lucky in that department when I was directing. And I really didn't have... Uh, the only other thing I can think of is in 1980, when I was doing Showboat, Marge Birch told 
She was playing with Russ. Uh, Russ Dunlap. Yeah, Dunlap. Yeah, was playing with. They were playing. Um, Ellie. She was playing Ellie. Okay. And we had for that production, since it's so period, we have had to conduct, uh, we rented the costumes. So two things. Once the Saturday before we opened, we had a costume parade at the site on stage. It was a hundred and some degrees outside. <laughs> I, everybody, including myself, we were getting heat, you know, heat fever like. <laughs> that was something else, seeing all these people in all these period clothes because they were heavy and layered and all of this. And I remember during one production of Showboat, and that was a terrible uh, week for tech, uh, tech week because it rained all week. And I wasn't sure we, we were going to open on Friday night. But we did. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we've had so little rehearsal all week. And the only thing that really happened was there was in uh, Barge's dress as Ellie, she had a hoop skirt. And we hadn't had a chance to uh, rehearse the hoop skirt going through the door of the play within a play scene, in that scene. And so she, she got stuck in the door because she couldn't get the hoop skirt through. So she picked up her hoop skirt, turned it sideways, and went through the door. <laughs> and everybody just laughed and cheered and clapped. It, it was so funny. So I'll remember that always. Anything else that you remember that just went wrong that was now kind of funny? No, those two incidents, I think, uh, kind of stood out to me as, you know, anything that was, you had it that was really funny or something that was panicky. I think those were, one was really funny and one was really panicky. And that, that was enough. I, you know, I like things to go smoothly and, but you have to be prepared, uh, especially when you're in charge of the show and the musical director is really in charge of the show. The director really isn't in charge of the show. After it hits opening night and the show goes on, like the saying, the show must go on, it's not in the, the director's hands anymore, but it is in the musical director's hands. So doing my own orchestra, I was uh, used to uh, having that control over the uh, shows. 
And that really helped. I'm glad I did most of my shows uh, conducting the orchestra. Yeah. So one of the phrases that we use a lot at uh, Muni, and I don't know if we were using it back then, but today we use it is the phrase Muni magic, which to yeah everybody means something different. It can mean the special effects. And I know back when, during your involvement, really Peter Pan, when we did that the first time was so cutting edge. And now it was, it was, I was going to say Peter Pan because it was the first time we did Peter Pan. The audience was so wowed, you know, by the flying that they would ooh and ah and clap and mm -hmm. they were breathless. So that was magical. Yeah. But what was, but to me, I equate Muni magic with like the part in Cinderella when the fairy godmother turns a pumpkin into a coach and Cinderella into a beautiful dress and wearing a beautiful dress and her magical moment until 12 midnight at the ball. To me, that was magical. And to me, going to the Muni Opera is like that. Everything you witness, everything that you see is magical. It's a magical couple hours that you spend on a, on a, in an outdoor theater, hopefully on a nice night. And to me, that's Muni magic, bringing theater to life. It's a special time and it's a special place. And it's a, just a special experience for so many people. That's Muni magic. Yeah, that's a great um, way of putting it. And so this other phrase that we use, and again, I'm not don't know if you used it back then, but um, we a lot of same times use the phrase Muni family, which means literally families doing theater together. And then it can mean just creating that non biological family, the lifelong friends that you make right um, connections. What does Muni family mean to you? It's like my, it was my second family. It's like a big family picnic. You spend month after month on the show, a good six months on the show, from the audition workshop until the end of the summer and the end of August. You spend so much time with these people, they become your second family. And I had so many shows I directed. I was being president of the board, being on the Muni board of managers many, many years. All these people were my second family. You're talking about, you have to understand that I was involved and I was close with people like Florence Birchtold and I was with Tom Shrewsbury and uh, Betty Ward. 
you know, people like this, Alice Payne, all of these people, God rest their souls. You know, most, a lot of, most, I think the ones I mentioned are all in a better place and they have left us. And I know that you're in the younger crowd and you have not witnessed or felt all of this. But to me, seeing all these people go on to a better place and all these people are now on this memorial wall, which I think is such a great idea. Whoever came up with that idea, I congratulate them to see all those people. You have to understand, Jacob, that all these people were the Muni. They were at the Muni and were the Muni at a time when I was there. That time is no longer here. And the Muni Opera is, you know, like I called the, if you want to say, the old Muni and the new Muni. Uh, I was part of the old Muni, and I am just so happy and thrilled that the Muni Opera didn't die out. It's still going strong, and it's just a different group of people. Like I say, I don't know these people. If I would come back to the Muni Opera today, they would all be strangers to me. But... What a wonderful legacy this was to me to be uh, a member and have done so many things for the Muni that will always be a part of my life. And it's a memory of mine that I will never, never forget. Great. So you kind of have talked about a few special people but are there any other special people that you worked with during your time with the muni that you haven't really mentioned yet that you want to give a shout oh, out to? I, there are so many and i don't want to, to slight anybody yeah. okay uh i worked with you know with worked with so many people on stage off stage uh, Staff-wise, on the board-wise, officer-wise, because being president for two years gave me a whole different look at the Muni Opera. Being part of the inner part of the Muni and being, uh, being president and making decisions to keep the Muni going is such an integral part that people don't see. All that they see is what they see on stage. People don't realize how much work goes into planning a musical, rehearsing a musical, and how much time the board of managers spends every month making sure that all these things happen. And I got, I was lucky enough, Jacob, that I got to see all of it. I got to see the stage. I got to see the orchestra pit. 
I got to be a director of many shows and I got to be the president and member of the board of managers. How lucky can a person be? I, I also directed their, uh, one year I directed their fundraising show at the Holiday Inn and that was special. And it, I've done so many things for the Muni Opera that, uh, I just wouldn't have traded for, traded for the world. And, I can say that I truly, truly was a part of the Springfield Municipal Opera. So then one of the people that we just lost a few months ago, um, who was a longtime Muni family member, um, was Gene Rubley. Um, right. Who, you had mentioned got you involved with your first show. But um, he did. Yep. Do you have any? Gene was quite the character. Um, yes, he you, was. Do you have any Gene Ribley stories? Uh, I guess uh, I can remember that uh, I always, Gene Ribley, he told it like it was, he didn't mince words. If it, if there was something he didn't like, he'd tell you. And uh, I liked the fact that he wasn't, uh, you know, fake at all. He was, you know, he he told the truth, and he told it how he felt, whether it was right or it was wrong, whether people thought it was right or it was wrong, he, he just blurted it out. I mean, he was a, a very uh, uh, honest person, and I knew, and I know, that uh, the Muni Opera was very important to him, and I'm very sorry that we have lost him. We have lost many, many people that were very close to me and that were very much a part of my life at the Muni Opera that were family to me. And I'm sorry to see them have to go. And I am also sorry that a lot of the younger people have not had a chance to know these people, to work with these people and to know what they were all about. So the last question I have is the deep one, but important nonetheless. And you've kind of talked about some of this already. But um, anyway, what makes Muni special? That's an easy question, Jacob. What makes Muni special is the people. That's what makes Muni special. Getting the people together in what capacity they're best suited for. Some people are actors, other people are stage people, some people are stage managers, some people are lighting people, some people are costume people, prop people, makeup people, 
They all people in life in the theater have their niche, as I always say. And I was lucky to always find the people that was in the right niche. And, um, and it seems as though Muni Opera has continued that legacy of finding people that are right. Because you have to have the right people to have the right production. And it takes many people to make a production. It's not one person that makes a production. People are talented and geared to one aspect. And that's the aspect that they should do, whether it's on stage, off stage, or just being a, a very advocate, you know, being an advocate for going as an audience member to see the show. Everybody has their place in theater. And I am very grateful that I found my place. I found a place where I could captivate upon it and use it to my best talent. And I hope that I done what I feel I was uh, given the talent to do and that I was an asset to the Springfield Muni Opera. I would like to be known here that I'm, you know, 74 years old now, that when it's my time to go, I just hope that I will be remembered for being an asset to making the Muni a little better. Well, Great, great, great interview. Um, great, lots of great information and history um, about your experience and memories of lots of the people that well, you thank worked you. with. Well, thank you very much for spending some of your evening with me, Gary, and you have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Jacob, and God bless all of you for doing what you're doing for the Muni Opera. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.